Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Well, if you would turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16, Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 16, we have reached the end. We have reached the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, we have been in Matthew since Christmas of 2021. Uh, and this is, has been quite a journey. You know, um, when I'm preaching a sermon, typically, I mean, I'll have things that, we, that I want us to do, so, some things that, that I, th- I think are applications of the text that I'll have sprinkled throughout the message, but a lot of times I'll try to end with, so go and do this because of what we've heard, right? And um, I think the Gospel of Matthew ends with something like that. You have uh, all of the Gospel of Matthew telling about the life and death and the ministry of Jesus and His resurrection. You have... Uh, you have starting off with a with a with a genealogy from the very beginning that that tells us how Jesus uh, was the son of David. He was the Messiah, the promise that was fulfilled. The this son of David who would one day come and and sit on David's throne forever with a kingdom that would never end. And. We see in his ministry how he healed the lame and how he he healed the sick and how he even raised the dead like Lazarus. We saw all those things in his ministry and we saw his teaching. He he taught the the sermon on the mount and he taught the the uh, um this, uh, there was another sermon on the plain and, and uh, uh, all the parables that we have heard. And then there's the Olivet Discourse that talked about the end times. We've seen all these teachings and miracles of Jesus. Then we saw the Passion Week where, where Jesus uh, came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And, and people were praising Him saying, Hosanna! to the Son of David. And then only a week later, Jesus met with His disciples in the upper room and He told them, one of you is going to betray you, me, and all of you are going to fall away. We see how Judas betrayed Jesus. We see how Peter had, had uh, denied that he even knew Jesus. And Jesus was put on trial before Pilate and and before the religious leaders and He was taken to the cross and nailed to the cross and He died there and He rose again on the third day. We've seen all of these things and now we come to the end of the Gospel of Matthew and Jesus has something to say to us. On the basis of everything you've seen about Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, this is what we are to do. This is the Great Commission. Let's go ahead and read our text beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your authority in giving us this command. We thank you for the commission that we might live on mission with you. And Lord, we thank you for your promise that you'll always be with us. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand and obey. Lord, give me grace and strength as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. It tells us, now the eleven went to Galilee. The eleven, of course, excluding Judas, the rest of the twelve disciples. Uh, we, we don't, it, this is not yet after the ascension, which we see in Acts, where uh, they select Matthias to take Judas's place. No, this takes place before the ascension. Jesus is there with the eleven remaining disciples. And we saw last week how Jesus had told Mary and Mary to go and tell his brothers to meet him in Galilee. And by brothers, I, I said that you know this, this may mean more than just the 11 disciples. This may mean all of those who were following him. So it's, it narrows, it specifies the 11 disciples went to Galilee, but he, there may have been many others that were going there as well to Galilee. We can remember back in when, when Jesus um, told the disciples that all of them were going to fall away back in chapter 26, that... Jesus also told them after His resurrection they would see Him in Galilee. And here, Jesus there shows up in Galilee at the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So He's there. They follow Jesus' instructions. They're there. They see Him. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. It was amazing This man that they had seen taken away by the Roman soldiers, beaten, crucified, and in a grave. Now, alive, glorified. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him. The word there means to fall on one's face. Uh, There is another Greek word that would specify exactly uh, worship, but here it could just mean to kneel down before Jesus. So there is a little bit of ambiguity there. Um, When they saw Jesus, they, they fell on their faces. They fell on their faces. But it says some doubted. Now what were they doubting? And who was this that was doubting? Now we know about doubting Thomas. We know this from the Gospel of John, who he he had doubted. But this would have already taken place. Galilee, this 
this uh, appearance to, to the disciples at Galilee would have happened after Jesus had appeared to his disciples in, uh, in the room there where, where uh, Thomas would have seen him. Um, so Thomas probably had already been able to stick his hand in Jesus' side and his finger into the, to the holes in his hands. Uh, we don't know specifically. It was probably maybe some of the other brothers that were along, that maybe, maybe that doubted, not the 11 disciples. But for whatever reason, we know that some doubted. You know, I think there's at least two things we can see from this doubt. One is that sometimes Jesus' disciples experience doubt. And Jesus' response to this doubt is just to remind them of His authority and encourage them to believe. Sometimes we might experience doubt. It doesn't tell us what they were doubting. It doesn't tell us they doubted His resurrection. They didn't doubt that it was Jesus. We don't know what they doubted, but they had some kind of doubt. And this ambiguity kind of helps us because sometimes we doubt. Jesus doesn't throw us away when we doubt. When we doubt, He's big enough. And He gives us encouragement to go on and to believe. The next passage, it says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. I think there could be a connection here between the doubt and what Jesus said to them. They were doubting. And then Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What can give us more confidence than to know Jesus has all authority? All authority. You know, we, we could be afraid about politics and what's going on in our country, but you know what? Jesus is on the throne. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. In all of the universe, every, all authority is Jesus's. It belongs to Him. We can be worried about our finances or our boss or our job or something like that. But Jesus has all authority. And this comforts us in our moment of doubt. Jesus tells them, all authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven and on earth. Uh, this, this heaven and earth, these two opposites are to say heaven and earth and everything in between. That is, Jesus has all authority over the whole universe. Over all of the heavens, over all of the stars, over all of the planets, over the earth that we stand on, over the seas, over everything in the universe. Jesus has all authority. He created it. And He has all authority. And it also tells us here, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Now I think it would be wrong to say that Jesus didn't have that authority before the resurrection. You see, Jesus in His high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 said that glorify me glorify the Son with the glory that He had before all creation. You've given Him authority over all flesh. 
So Jesus already had all authority even before because He's the Son of God. He was God and man. Fully God and fully man. He had all authority already. And we, we know from back in um, Matthew chapter 10, he, told the, he gave the disciples some of His authority over unclean spirits. So when He sent them out on their mission before, He gave them authority over unclean spirits so that they could cast them out and over diseases so that they could heal them. Well, here, Jesus references His authority again. It was given to Him. Now, it's not that He didn't have that authority, but we know that the, the authority that He had came from the Father. And Colossians tells us a little bit about this inter-Trinitarian relationship, which is so far above my head that I, 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 I dread to even speak of it. But somehow in the mystery of the Godhead, the authority is derived from the Father and given to the Son. Now, the next part says, Go therefore. And I want to first say, look at this therefore. As the old cliche said, uh, uh, whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, go back and see what it's there for, right? <laughs> um, and it's there for uh, what comes before that is Jesus has all authority on that basis. Because Jesus has all authority, He's giving us a command. Now, in this command, I'm going to go ahead and read this. It says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Now, there are four verbs there. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. And yet, among those four, there is one that's the main verb, and all of the others, the other three, are contingent on the main verb. The main verb is make disciples. So, uh, what Jesus is telling His disciples and what He's telling us is make disciples. That's the main verb. Now, go is the one we see here first in our text. And it comes first also in the Greek text. Uh, it, it is... Uh, it is a participle that it is, it is connected to this main verb. And there are different explanations for this. Some would say, well, since you're already going, while you're going, make disciples. That could be a possibility, and there's some truth to that. Not everybody picks up everything and leaves and goes to a foreign nation. No, sometimes we are just going throughout our lives, and we are to make disciples where we are. But on the other hand... When Jesus says to go and make disciples of all nations, they can't exactly do that if they say they're in Jerusalem. Also, we know that because the, the verb there to go, even though it is not the main verb, it is, it is first, um, what, what grammarians tell us is that there is some of the, uh, the command force from the make disciples that is implied within the 
participle there. And I'm getting technical here. I'm sorry. So there is a force that says, go. Don't just stay where you are. Go. Now, not everybody can go. Not everybody can go. Imagine if everybody here in this church decided we're going to pick up and leave and go as missionaries to some foreign country. Well, who would be left here to try to reach Panama? Not everybody can go. So we, so logically, some of us will go and some of us will send. We, so when we give, part of what we give, uh, we, we designate part of that to go to uh, church planting in Illinois through the North American Mission Board. We, go, we designate some of it to go to international missions and other things. We, we, we send our money to go to send missionaries. And some of us might be sent to go. To go to the nations and tell them about Jesus. So we don't just stay where we are, but we go or we send. But the main verb here is make disciples. Now how do you make disciples? Some would point at the fact that it's followed here by baptizing and teaching them. So you'd say, well, to make a disciple, you baptize someone and then you teach them. But no, there's a problem there. It says, baptize them. Well, who's the them? Who's the them that you're supposed to baptize? Well, it's the disciples that you've already made. You don't baptize people who aren't disciples already. That's one reason why we're Baptists. Uh, Those who... uh, um, are those who baptize infants uh, might take it more that you you make a disciple by baptizing them and then teaching them, but uh, we have to remember there's we're baptizing who we're baptizing disciples, and we're not just baptizing all nations. Uh, if it were that, the the thing is, nation is a neuter verb, and them is masculine. So you don't have a match there. It would be more likely that the disciples are the ones who we are to baptize. Now, how do you make a disciple then? Well, disciple means to, uh, ha- to, to, to create a learner, to bring someone under someone else's instruction. And so we are to bring people under the the instruction of Jesus. That is what making a disciple is. And how do we do that? By preaching the gospel. And when a person is saved, they become a disciple. So the the command, make disciples of all nations, is a command for evangelism. When we make disciples, when someone is converted, they automatically become a disciple. Now, some try to define that and say, well, you know, I got saved at this point, but then I really became a disciple over here. No. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. You can be a good one or a bad one. But if you're saved, you are a disciple. So make disciples. That is the main command. That is what a church should be doing. Making disciples. About maybe a year and a half ago, um, I had uh, 
looked at our mission statement that I say at the beginning of every service. And and, uh, it used to read, we seek to worship God in biblical simplicity, to serve our community by meeting tangible needs, to communicate the gospel to those who have not heard, and and to have Christ at the center of all we do. And we didn't have this to make mature disciples of every believer. Well, the Great Commission... What the command is, is to make disciples. And I didn't say anything about making disciples in our mission. So we added that clause there. We are to make disciples. That is our mission. Now, what do we do with those disciples once they become disciples, once they become Christians? We don't just preach the gospel to them, get them saved, and then let them wander off on their own and figure life out. No. The first thing the text tells us that we do whenever someone gets saved, whenever someone becomes a disciple of Jesus, is we baptize them. That that comes after they're saved, at least here in the text it does. When someone gets saved, we baptize them. And it tells us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we have a Trinitarian baptism. You can see that in the way we practice baptism. When we baptize someone, we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And notice something about the grammar there. We don't say the names of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. We say the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the text says here. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Even in the way that this term is Constructed here, we see there is a there is a, a one in three idea that points us to the Trinity. The name, one name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's not a fully developed doctrine of the Trinity, but it is there. We see we baptize believers in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then after we baptize them, we teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Again, we don't get people saved, get them under the water, and then let them just drift off through life and figure life out all on their own. We are to teach them. Teach them. And what do we teach them? Jesus says, everything. Teach them to observe everything, all that I have commanded you. Now, there's all Jesus' teachings that we have gone through in the Gospel of Matthew, and that we also see in the Gospel of Mark, and of Luke, and of John. And we, we can expand that to the New Testament as a whole, because the apostles continued to teach what Jesus taught. But you know what? I, I, I think uh, we, we, can, we can say that the Old Testament is con- included, for one, when Jesus met the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he pointed and he, said, he taught the disciples. He opened their eyes to see everything that was written about him in the law and the prophets and the writings. So the Old Testament testifies to Jesus too. And Jesus even told the disciples that the Old Testament pointed to him. So when we, when we read this, Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Part of that is we teach them the Bible. We get Jesus' teaching and instruction directly out of the Gospels. We get what the apostles tell us that Jesus taught 
uh, from the letters and from the other parts, from the Acts. And we also get Jesus' teaching from the Old Testament. Not only did Jesus point to the Old Testament and say that it testified about Him, but also we know that Jesus was God. And God inspired the Old Testament texts. And so when it was the same Spirit that inspired the Old Testament that inspired the New Testament. It comes from the same source. It is all the Word of God. So, disciples need to be instructed in all of the Scriptures to be able to rightly divide the Word of truth, to be fully equipped to handle God's Word. Also, there's an emphasis here to observe all that I have commanded you on the, what we do. To observe all that I commanded you. It's something about what we do. It's about our behavior that Jesus here emphasizes. Teaching them to, teach them to observe. It's about how we live. Not just intellectual, but about how we behave as well. And then... Finally, not finally for the whole sermon, but finally for, for, for this clause here, when it says observe here, we observe what we call ordinances. And we've already mentioned baptism. Baptism is one of the ordinances we practice. And Jesus here is telling the disciples and telling us to instruct new believers in how to observe the Lord's Supper. We're going to be doing that this morning. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're, we're doing what Jesus is telling us to do and observing all that Jesus commanded them. Now to the very last part. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now something I noticed, something that I noticed in my reading there's a lot of the word all here in this text. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them all that I have commanded you. And finally, I am with you at all times. Always. Jesus is with us. Always. Every day. No matter where we go. What could give us more comfort when we're doubting? What could give us more strength to be able to go and carry out this mission than to know Jesus is with us? It could get scary trying to share the Gospel with someone. You want to sit down with a stranger and talk with them about Jesus? They might think you're crazy. But remember... Jesus is with us. Always. He's with us when we go and we share the Gospel with our neighbor. He's with us when we go uh, even to the ends of the earth. Jesus says to go and make disciples of all nations. And we can send our missionaries or we can go to Sudan. To North Africa. To places we can't even name because of security reasons. We can go to those places and we can know Jesus 
is with us always. And then the final clause here says, to the end of the age. He's going to be with the disciples as they go out from Jerusalem always. And it says to the end of the age. It's going beyond just the time of those original disciples. But He has been with believers through two millennia now. And He will continue to be with us as we carry out His great commission until He comes again. He will be with us. So, I don't have to say much, I think, about what does this mean to us? Because Jesus has already said it. What is our job? If we're a believer... If, if, we are a, if we are a believer, then we are a disciple. And if we are a disciple, then we are called to make disciples. And as a church, we baptize those disciples. And we teach them. We work together to teach these new disciples. So that the whole body is built up. And we all grow to maturity. And the final encouragement that Jesus leaves us with, and He is with us always. We might be afraid of messing up, but He's there. And He's stronger than us. And His power can be made perfect in our weakness. listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.